Let's turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 2. Before we get over there, I'm going to stop in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 just for a second to preface this. But typically when I teach, I minister topically. Like I'll take something like what the Lord has shown me about spirit, soul, and body. And I'll take that topic and I'll go to all kinds of scriptures and bring that. Or about grace, or about righteousness, or about faith, or about healing. And I, I teach topically and that's the way that I've done the majority of the time. But uh, what I want to do this week is a little different for me. But I've been studying in the book of uh, Deuteronomy for about the last three or three weeks or so. And I one verse in Deuteronomy chapter two just lit my fire. And I have been stuck on that verse for two, maybe three weeks. And I thought, I'm just going to share with everybody else what God's been speaking to me. And so this will be a little bit different than the way that I uh, usually minister And here's this passage over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In verse 6, it's talking about the children of Israel and all of the things that happened to them. And in verse 6, it says, Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and 20,000. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So here's two verses, verses six and 11 that says all of the things that were written in the old covenant, specifically about the children of Israel and how God dealt with them were written for our examples so that through them we could learn not to lust, not to commit adultery, not to do all of these things. Basically the word of God is written so that we can learn at other people's expense instead of our own. And one reason so many people's lives are so screwed up and they have so many problems is because they don't take the word of God and what happened to people in the word and learn from that. They learn through their own hard knocks. And I tell you, learning by hard knocks, you can learn a few things if you live through it, but that's not the best way. The better way is to learn at other people's expense. And I don't know how many of you have heard my testimony, but I got born again when I was eight years old. The first time God nailed me over sin, not the first time I'd sinned, but the first time God really convicted me that it wasn't just disobeying my parents or something that I had sinned against him. I repented. I got born again and I have not gone out and done all of the things that a lot of people have done. I've never said a word of profanity, never taken a drink of liquor, never smoked a cigarette. I was Mr. Righteous. But you know what? Who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? Not me. I needed salvation just like anybody else. I'm just saying that I haven't gone out and learned these things through hard knocks. I went to the word of God and I have learned through the word of God some things. And I think that that is far superior than just figuring it out on your own. You know, I read a Barna survey. David gets all of the Barna surveys and sends them to me with underlined things and highlight 
And Barna did a survey among Christians. And anyway, a lot of detail to it, but the long and the short of it is that the majority of Christians today that were in this survey basically come up with their own concept of what God is like based on how they feel. It's not based on the word. They do not believe in the accuracy of the word. They didn't know basic Bible doctrines. They just feel like this must have be how God is supposed to be. And let me say this in love, brothers and sisters. I'm trying to be as nice about this as I can, but that is the reason some of you have made such a royal mess of your life is because you leaned under your own understanding. We read those verses er- earlier. Trust in the Lord and lean not under your own understanding. You can't figure God out with just your little peanut brain, however you think he is. The word of God was written to show us who God is and the way that he dealt with people in the old covenant is supposed to be our instruction about this is why God told us to do this and this is how he told us to live. And we are supposed to use them as an example. So I say all of these things as introduction to preface this that I go to the word of God and look at how God has dealt with other people. And I learn from that. And this is how God has directed my life. And you know, I may be prejudiced or biased, but I am just thrilled with what God has done in my life. I am absolutely thrilled. If you would have told me 43 years ago, the things that would have happened and where I am today and what God is doing in my life, I would have, I was believing for big things, but I'm not sure I was believing this big. God has done awesome, awesome things in my life. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing, man. I'm just absolutely thrilled. And I think a lot of that comes because I haven't leaned onto my own understanding. I didn't decide I'm going to go figure out why dope is bad. And so let me try it out and see what's wrong with it. I'm going to go find out what's so bad about getting drunk. I think I'll go out and commit adultery to find out what's wrong with it. I've gone to the word of God and I've learned at other people's expense. And I would highly recommend that method. So with all that being said, let's look over here at the way God dealt with the children of Israel And this is in Deuteronomy chapter two. And for those of you that aren't real familiar with this scripture, basically the whole book of Deuteronomy was spoken by Moses in the last day or two of his life. The children of Israel came out of the land of Egypt. That's recorded in Exodus. And then in uh, Exodus chapter 14 is when they came out of the land of Egypt. They went through the Red Sea, etc., And then there was 40 years, actually from uh, Exodus chapter 14 up until Numbers chapter 13 is describing basically just a little over a year, less than two years after they came out, they went to Mount Sinai. They encamped there. God gave them the commandments, gave them the law. They built the tabernacle. They established a nation They put down all of the rules and the regulations and basically somewhere around 18 months to two years is the book of Exodus uh, chapter four all the way up until Numbers chapter 13. And that's where the spies came back and the children of Israel rebelled and said, we can't do it. Exodus chapter 14 is where God said, you're going to wander into wilderness for 40 years until every one of you unbelievers dies off and your children will go in. 
And basically the, the uh, 40 years was finished somewhere around numbers. I think chapter uh, 23, chapter 24, somewhere in there is, and that describes the whole 40 years. Then the book of Leviticus is about all of the laws of sacrifice and the offering for sin and how to cleanse a leper and all of these details. But in Deuteronomy is the last words of Moses and he was getting ready to go up into the mountain. The Lord would not let him enter into the promised land because he disobeyed God. And instead of speaking to the rock, he thought it would be more dramatic to strike it. And so he struck it, nothing happened. So he struck it a second time and the water came out and it fed the entire 3 million plus Jews and all of their animals. He got the results, but he didn't do it God's way. And God said, because of this, you cannot enter into the promised land. And so Moses was uh, forbidden to enter into the promised land. The old generation had died off. It was now time for them to enter in and he knew he was gonna die. He was gonna go up to Mount Nebo and he was gathered unto the Lord. And right before he left, the whole book of Deuteronomy is Moses rehearsing what happened and going back and summarizing and talking about this is why this happened and this is why this happened. And he's recounting Jewish history. And I say all of that again to preface this, that this is really beneficial because sometimes the scripture just records what happened and it doesn't tell you exactly why it happened or what was going on behind the scenes. But when Moses goes to summarizing 40 years of Jewish history in the wilderness, he not only tells what happened, but he goes behind the scenes and said, this is what God was doing. This is what God was teaching you. So it's like a commentary on it. It is invaluable. I love these passages of scripture. Probably most of you, Deuteronomy is not your favorite book, but it ought to be one of your favorite books. It's powerful. It's powerful to see how God dealt. And here's a man who stood in the presence of God for 40 days and 40 nights, heard an audible voice. When he was challenged, his authority was challenged. God said, if I want to speak to any of the rest of you, I'll speak in a dream or in a vision or something like that. But that's not the way I speak to my servant Moses. I'll talk to him face to face. And he was literally in the presence of God. He came down, took the 10 commandments and destroyed them. And contrary to the show, the 10 commandments, the earth did not open up and swallow the golden calf and all of these people. That was a total separate thing. And Anyway, that was a little license on Cecil B. DeMille's part. But nonetheless, this guy saw, he was in the presence of God for 40 days. He got angry at the children of Israel and within one day or two days went back up to the mount and fasted another 40 days. That means that he went 80 days without food or water which you can go 40 days without food without dying. It's only after 40 days that you literally begin to starve to death. I know some of you think after 12 hours on a fast, you're starving to death, but it's your appetite. You do not starve to death until like after 40 days. Now going without water over three days starts doing physical damage and usually seven to 10 days, you're dead. You can't go without water. But Moses went without food or water for 40 days and it doesn't tell us if he drank, ate or drank during the two days he was down from the mountain, but you can't recover from a fast that quickly. He certainly didn't build his strength back up and he went up and did it again. 
So he went basically 80 days without food or water. And when he came down from the mountain the second time, he didn't know it, but his face was radiating light. He was shining and they had to put a veil over Moses because people were afraid to look at him because the glory of God was on his face. Again, I say this, that this guy knew what he was talking about. This guy had been in the presence of God. I think that his opinion is worth taking. I think that somebody who had that kind of relationship with God, we ought to know what his last words were before he exited this earth. It's important. And again, brothers and sisters, I'm not scolding anybody. You guys are the cream of the crop. Here you are on a Thursday night coming out to hear a hick from Texas talk. You're a fanatic. Amen. I'm not criticizing you, but I'm saying that there's probably very few people in this room that have had this attitude and have wanted to say, man, what did a man who walked with God and knew him so much that his face shone and he could go 80 days without food or water? What does this guy have to say the last two days of his life? You know, if I knew that I was going to be leaving this earth in the next two days, I think I would try and give you as much as I could right now. I would boil it down to the most important things that I'd learned over all of these years. Just by virtue of the fact that your last words, you would make them count. And yet there's people in this room that probably don't have a clue about what's being said in the book of Deuteronomy. And because of it, You go out and just reproduce the same mistakes over and over that your parents made, that your grandparents made, that everybody else is making. I'm not saying these things to scold us. I'm saying it to exhort us that brothers and sisters, this is so important. And we need to take heed to the word of God. And what a great privilege to have these things recorded. Do you know the miracles that God went through to preserve these words that were spoken over 4,000 years ago? There is no other book like this in the world. They've got, I forgot how many copies of the Iliad, Homer's Iliad. That's one of the most copied, preserved works in the world. And I forget the exact dating of that, but it was prior to the time of Christ. And outside of the Bible, it's probably the most uh, preserved uh, ancient manuscript that we have. And yet there's, I forget the number, but it's like 300 or 400 copies of that. Did you know that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of copies of the Old and the New Testament made? And yet the number of what they say are differences or mistakes are infinitely less in the thousands and thousands, the tens of thousands of biblical scriptures that are copied out. There are tens of thousands less scripture, uh, less contradictions or differences in that than there is in the four or 500 copies of the Iliad. You know why? Because that wasn't inspired. This is inspired and God not only communicated it, but has preserved it. And this is awesome that I'm holding something that God wrote. He wrote the 10 commandments with his own finger. And we have that recorded in Exodus chapter 20. This is awesome. 
if people would approach the word of God, you know, I'm still in the introduction, (laughs) but if you would approach the word of God with this mindset that I've just described right here, if this was your attitude and if this is the way you went to the word and you said, Oh God, I want to learn your ways. I want to know you. And you took it like this. I guarantee you, your life would change in a heartbeat. You would see dramatic transformation in your life. All of our problems come because the word says do this and we, we lean unto our own understanding and do it our own way. This isn't restrictive. This isn't to hurt you. This is to help you. God's the one that created you. He knows what makes you tick and he knows what's good for you. And he's communicated it right here. And if we would follow God's directions, you would have a much better life, not a much worse life. Amen. So I could keep preaching on that, but let me turn over to Deuteronomy chapter two. Remember he's rehearsing their history and look at this in verse 24, Deuteronomy chapter two and in verse 24, it says, rise ye up, take your journey and pass over the river Arnon. Behold, I have given into thy hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon and his land. Begin to possess it and contend with him in battle. Now that may not do much for you, but I tell you, God rang my bell with this a few weeks ago and I have been meditating on this. I could preach on this for weeks. This is awesome. Here, let me just say a few things and then I'll go into some detail on this. But what really struck me, again, this is Moses rehearsing the history. And basically he's, he described their rebellion, that they rebelled at God. And so he said, every person who disbelieved me is going to die in the wilderness. And your children that were at least 20 years or younger will be the ones that enter in. And so 40 years later, he's now come to that in chapter two. And he is describing that all of the people that disbelieved God have died off. And here's God finally speaking to him and saying, all right, it's time. As a matter of fact, he, he talks about this, the whole second chapter, but look at this in, um, this is in Deuteronomy chapter two and in verse three, he says, you have compassed this mountain long enough. Turn you northward. Some of you may not really appreciate that, but what he was saying was for 40 years, they'd been going in circles around Mount Sinai. They had just been in the desert in a holding pattern. They'd just been sitting there 40 years waiting on their punishment or the results, consequences of their unbelief to wear off. They had been in a holding pattern in a desert and it wasn't a good place to live. There were scorpions. There were serpents. It was a terrible existence. They had been in this mode for 40 years, just like on a treadmill, doing all of this and going nowhere. And God said, you've done this long enough. Now it's time. The old generation died off. It's time for you to get in and uh, enter into the promised land. So that's the context of this. And in verse 24, when he says, uh, rise ye up, This was something he had not said to him for 40 years. For 40 years, they'd been sitting, doing nothing. But now it was time for them to go in and possess the land that God had given them. He told them to rise up. There's six things in this verse that I'm going to minister on this weekend. 
The first thing it is, it says, rise ye up. The second thing is take your journey. The third thing says is pass over the river Arnon. Some of you may not see much significance to that, but that is an important piece of information right there. These are things that the Lord said directly to me in the last couple of weeks. And he says, look at this. It says, behold, I have given into thy hand Sihon, the Amorite, king of Heshbon. He says, look, I have done it. It's already accomplished. And yet he told him in the last part of this verse now. Um, let's see, what does it say here? It says, uh, begin to possess their land and contend with them. And when I first read this, I thought, God, if you are telling them to get up and begin to possess the land and contend with them, why would you say that if they've already had Sihon given into their hand? You said it's a done deal. You said I've already done it and yet they've still got to go fight. There's a lot of people that don't understand this. The scripture says, by his stripes, you were healed. And they think, well, if I was healed, then how come I've got to stand here and confess the word and believe God? If God said that I'm already blessed with all spiritual blessings, then how come I've got to stand here and give and believe that it's given back unto me? And why all of this? There are perfect parallels between everything you and I are going through and what God told Moses right here. This is really powerful. And if you can pay attention and learn, you can learn some things at Moses' expense and you don't have to go through the same problems. You don't have to spend 40 years in the wilderness. And so God has been speaking these things to me. I'm going to try and not make this all personal about what he's been saying to me the last couple of weeks, but uh, I'll probably use some personal examples because this has really spoken to me exactly where I am in decisions that I'm having to make. But um, this applies to every one of us. Every one of us, God has more for us than what we've entered into. God did not bring us out of being lost and pagans and defeated. And he didn't save you to get you stuck until heaven. You know, I could spend a whole time on this. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to say this and hopefully you'll take my word for it or go study it out on your own. But you'll often hear religion paint, uh, you know, the promised land and the illustration of entering into the promised land and compare that to crossing Jordan and going into heaven. And they paint heaven as the promised land. But heaven isn't the promised land. That was something God wanted that generation to have in their lifetime on this earth. God didn't bring them out of Egypt so that they could die in the wilderness. That happened because they refused to believe God and follow God's instructions. And that, that beggarly existence that they had to where they were sick and they had problems and they griped and they complained and they were miserable all of the time. That was not what God intended for the Jewish nation. He brought them out so that he could bring them into a land on this physical earth flowing with milk and honey. And he had things for them right here. The scripture says in Galatians chapter one, verse four, that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil world, not just the one to come, but this present evil world. We sing when we all get to heaven, what a day that will be. And that is going to be glorious when we get to heaven. But God wants you to be living and praying, saying, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should be walking in victory now. 
Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's, it's talking about the body of Christ and it's talking about the coming of the Lord. And it's saying that we are waiting until all of these things are put under his feet. And his feet is talking about his body. We are his body and we are waiting until we see the body of Christ begin to start walking in their victory and subdue things. And it says, then the end will come when the body of Christ is walking in the fullness. And it says the last enemy that'll be destroyed is death. And you know, I don't have a total revelation on this. Don't accept or reject me based on this one statement, but that looks to me like that the body of Christ is going to be so strong in the end days that we are going to be sitting there and overcoming death, that we are going to be standing and walking in our victory. God's not coming for a bride that barely just gets drug into heaven, dirty and all of this stuff. He's looking for a victorious church. We are supposed to be experiencing victory here in this life. And I tell you, it's just like George and Judy were saying, there's a revival happening. There's things happening today that have never happened before. I know we've got some people here that maybe you don't feel that way. You might've come just to check out what all this is about. But I personally know over 38 people who have been raised from the dead or who have raised other people from the dead. And yet in the Bible, there's only a total of eight people raised from the dead. Think about that. I know one man in Salt Lake City, he's now with the Lord, but in his lifetime, he raised eight people from the dead. One man. We are seeing miracles happen on an unprecedented level. There's this man named Arthur Burt. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Arthur Burt. Anybody ever heard of him? A few of you. He used to travel with uh, Smith Wigglesworth. And we took our very first uh, missions trip to Ireland and we went over to his place and he took all of our students in. And this guy, he would now, if he was still alive, he'd be 98 or 99. I don't even know if he's still alive. It's been three or four years since I've talked to him. But we went over there and we just sat down and started talking to him because he used to travel with Smith Wigglesworth. He saw all of these miracles happen and he was telling us stories and it was awesome. What a privilege to have somebody who had seen all of those things in part of history, just sit down and answer questions and talk. And we talked to him for hours, pumping him about what that was like. And you know, one of the statements that he made that just really touched me, one of the, one of the students said, how would you compare what God is doing in the earth today with what happened during the days of Smith Willsworth? And boy, when they said that, my ears perked up. I wanted to hear And he says, there's no comparison. He says, what's happening today is much greater than what happened through Smith Wigglesworth. And when he said that, I was shocked. But you know, you sometimes, you read these books and you read all of their testimonies about the miracles that happened, but it happened over 40 or 50 years and they put them in. You read Elijah's life. And I, again, don't hold me on these figures, but I'm close. Elijah had like seven or eight Great miracles happen in his ministry, including raising one person from the dead. Elisha had 16, but that's over. Elisha was probably over a a 50 year period in his ministry. And he had 16 great miracles. We will see in a meeting like this, we'll see maybe two or three people come out of wheelchairs. We will have deaf ears open. I prayed for somebody I forgot 
now what it was, but it was two or three days ago. Somebody just was walking down the hall and was deaf and having problems with deafness. And I prayed over them. They took their hearing aids out and they're totally healed just a couple of days ago. Total deafness healed. We will see deafness healed, blind eyes open, people come out of wheelchairs and all kinds of things. We'll probably see more than 16 notable miracles in these three days. But it's not necessarily dramatic in all of these things. God is moving in awesome ways today. It's miraculous what God is doing, but we sometimes get it in our mind that we're we're looking for something. You know, that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, there were people who saw it and didn't believe it and immediately went to the scribes and Pharisees and took counsel how they could kill Jesus and Lazarus. And he was raised from the dead. He was embalmed. He had grave clothes around him. And people still didn't believe it. There was people that heard an audible voice out of heaven in the 12th chapter of the book of John. And it was his father speaking to him. And he says, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And people heard the audible voice of God. And some, some of them said it was thunder. They refused to believe it. I have people all the time say, if your son was raised from the dead, and if you've seen these other people raised from the dead, why don't you prove it? Why don't you go on television and make something happen and go to the news media and make everybody acknowledge this? And it doesn't work that way. I have, I've been in situations where people sit there and see a miracle and disbelieve. Matter of fact, Ashley and Carly right here, their daughter was given just days to live. And I prayed with her over in England and their daughter was raised up miraculously. And Ashley and Carly, I asked them to come up at one of our meetings. Was that the last one in Chicago or where? But anyway, they came up someplace and gave a testimony about how their daughter was basically raised up from her deathbed. She was three and a half years old, wearing nine-month-old children's clothes because she had never grown and had all of these things. And they gave their testimony and people came up and said, she was never really sick. I don't believe this. You're lying. There's people that called their own parents liars. There's people that just will not believe. Thomas looked at Jesus, or he heard the reports of Jesus being raised from the dead and the other disciples told him that he was alive. And he says, unless I see it with my eyes, unless I put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. It's a choice to not believe. And there are some people that have made the choice that miracles don't happen, that you can't walk in the supernatural. They don't believe in this and they are going to sit there and resist everything. That's why the Lord told the uh, rich man who died in the 16th chapter of the book of Luke and he went to hell and in hell he lifted up his eyes and he saw Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham and he said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he'll dip his finger in water and come and cool my tongue. And he said, nope, can't do it. There's a huge gulf in between us. You can't pass back and forth. And so he says, well, send him then to go back and tell my brothers and warn them so they don't come into this terrible place. And he said, they have the prophets, Moses and the prophets, let him, let them listen to them. And he said, oh, they won't listen to the word, but if somebody rose from the dead, then they had believed. And Abraham said, that's not true. If they will not believe the word of God, they will not believe though one rose from the dead. Faith does not come by facts. Faith does not come by seeing. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And you cannot argue a person into faith. The Holy Spirit will deal with the person's heart, but you basically have to open up and take it by faith. You have to receive a direct revelation from God. You can't prove things. I remember when they came out with so-called proof that they had found Noah's Ark. I've talked to a man who said he walked inside of Noah's Ark and brought back a piece of petrified wood. And I believe that he probably did. And they put out a movie about it in search of Noah's Ark. I've talked to the man. And you know what? People were so excited. Oh, this is going to make people believe. It didn't make anybody believe. And yet they, they said that they went in. They took pictures of it. They had pieces of of uh, the wood and stuff like that. The shroud of Turin. People say that, you know, this is going to make people believe. You can't make people believe through anything like that. If you won't believe the word of God, you will not believe the one rose from the dead. Faith comes through the word of God. It doesn't come through all these dramatic external things. I have no idea why I got off on all of that, (laughs) but that was really good would help you. Amen. If you're wanting to get into faith, quit looking for some physical thing that's just going to jumpstart you and make you automatically believe and force you to believe. You're going to have to get into the word of God and you're going to have to study it and let the word of God begin to start building your faith. So again, I don't remember why I got off on that, but the children of Israel have been in this holding pattern for all of these years and they had just been waiting and doing nothing. They were expecting nothing. And the Lord said, rise up. It's time to do something different. Look at this over in second uh, Kings chapter seven. Boy, this is something, as I was thinking about this, the Lord reminded me of this passage and spoke this to me. But in second Kings chapter seven, In the sixth chapter, they were going through a famine and the Syrians had surrounded the Israelites and the city got so bad, they couldn't get any supplies in or out. There was a famine going on that they actually were selling animal dung for huge exorbitant prices. And that's what they were eating. They were eating dung. And in the sixth chapter is an instance where a couple of women who lived together, each had children. And one of them said, let's kill your son and eat him today. And then tomorrow we'll kill my son. They were cannibalizing and eating their own children. This was a desperate situation. And in the midst of it, they came to get Elisha and they were going to kill him because he's the one that prophesied this judgment. So they were saying, you're to blame. And so they were going to kill him. And he just stood and he said, made a bold proclamation. He says, tomorrow, by this time, you'll be able to buy a piece of bread for basically nothing. Everything's going to be cheap. The famine will be over by this time tomorrow. And the servant of the king said, if God was to open the windows of heaven, that couldn't happen. Said the famine could not be over that quick. Says it's impossible. And Elisha said, because you don't believe, you'll see it, but you'll not eat of it. And sure enough, the guy died. He was trampled to death. And he saw it happen, but he didn't get to eat on it. So anyway, that's what happened in the sixth chapter. Here is the, here's the uh, answer in the seventh chapter. It says, then Elisha said, hear ye the word of the Lord. 
Thus saith the Lord, tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, which is a very small amount of money, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, behold, thou shalt see it with thy eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. And then in verse three, it says, and there were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate. And they said one to another, why sit we here till we die? Now lepers were outcast. They weren't allowed in the city. So here they were, they were in between the Syrian army and the Israelis who were holed up in Samaria and they were outcast and they were worse off than the people in the city. They were dying. And what a great statement this is. They said, how long are we going to sit here till we die? You know what? We got to do something. Even if it's wrong, if we sit here, we will die. Let's do something. And then they go on and they talk about it and they say, if we go into the city, there's death in the city. There's famine in the city. We're guaranteed to die if we go into the city. Let's go out to the enemy and expose ourselves to them and says the worst they can do is kill us. <laughs> and you know what? There's a lot of people that, well, I would never do that. They could kill you. You were going to die anyway. This reminds me of Peter in the 14th chapter of the book of Matthew. And you know, Jesus was, came walking on the water and Peter said, Lord, if that's you, bid me come unto you on the water. And most people would think, get out of the boat and walk on the water. And yet the previous verse says that the boat was filled with water and it was sinking. <laughs> and yet most people are so afraid to get out of the security of the boat and just jump out on the water. Well, the boat was sinking. It was full of water. There was very little difference between being out on the water and being in the boat. Matter of fact, being out on the water was miraculous. You had the chance of a miracle. You were out there where Jesus was. But you know what? Most people, they're just so afraid. They don't want to leave the security of the boat. It's like people today. They're afraid to do something different than the norm in our society. They don't want to be politically incorrect. They don't want to offend anybody. They're, they're so afraid that somebody's going to reject them. And yet you look around and everybody's sick. Everybody's poor. Everybody's scared. Everybody's miserable. And yet you're so afraid of being different. You want to do the same things that they do. You don't want to go out and, man, I don't want to give this money. I don't want to tithe. We're in a recession. Well, let me ask you, how's that hoarding working for you? Amen. Those of you that are poor and you're struggling, what have you got to lose? You know, when it's really hard to tithe and give, is not when you're in a financial bind because you can look at it this way. What I've got's not enough for my need. I might as well turn it into a seed and plant it. You got nothing to lose. When it's really hard to give is when you got lots of money and you're thinking, oh man, I'm giving part of what I've got away. But when you don't have enough anyway, Jamie and I, you know, we went through some really hard times and when we struggled, it was easy to say, well, I'm going to go ahead and tithe because I can't make it on my own. I might as well. There are so many people afraid to step out and do something 
and yet you're drowning. Your boat's sinking. You're miserable. You've been keeping all the money yourself and you haven't tithed because you're afraid to tithe and yet it's not working for you. You aren't prosperous. You're struggling. And yet you're so afraid that I need this money and you've kept all of it and look how good that's worked for you. (laughs) You know what? You need to just step out and believe God. How long are you going to sit here till you die? There are many of you And I'm not saying this to hurt anybody. I'm trying to shock us and shape us up and get us to move on. But there are many of you that are sick and tired of the way your life is going. When I was sitting here saying about how God, how good God is, and man, I am just thrilled with all the things that the Lord's doing in my life. There's some of you sitting there thinking, I'm not thrilled. You're poor, you're sick, you're miserable. Relationships aren't working. You're afraid of the future. You're worried about everything. There's strife. There's just problem after problem after problem. And yet you're afraid to change. It's a definition of insanity to keep doing the same thing and expect different results. There are some of you that are praying that things will be different and yet you're so afraid to do anything different. Well, what I've got to say to you is what these lepers said. How long are you going to sit there till you die? Some of you have been praying for change for years. Nothing's working. One of the reasons, because you're afraid to do anything different. This is the reason that the Lord said, rise up. They had been in a holding pattern. They had been doing the same thing that hadn't worked for 40 years, just sitting there waiting, watching people die off. And the Lord said, you've compassed this mountain long enough. I'm telling you that many of you have lived in defeat long enough. You've been sick long enough. I have people all the time tell me, I've I've got this and this and this. And I say, how long have you had it? And they'll say five years or 10 years. And I say, that's five years or 10 years too long. God doesn't want you sick. He doesn't want you poor. He doesn't want you defeated. The Lord wants you so that when you wake up in the morning, you're excited about life. That it's awesome. There's some of you that hate your job and you keep doing the same thing. This isn't a dress rehearsal. This is the real deal. You hadn't got one day to spend doing something that is not fulfilling you. Either your attitude is wrong and you need to start rejoicing and praising God for the good things he's done, or maybe you're in the wrong spot. There's a lot of you that you're doing what you're doing because your parents made you do it. This is what they chose for you. It's not the dream in your heart. There's some of you that your dream would lead you in a different direction and yet you're afraid to do it because you're trying to be practical. You're trying to use your head and stuff. And I tell you, you're not going to be satisfied. When you get to the end of your life, I guarantee you there's not a single person that's going to say, I wished I'd have been more conservative. I wished I'd have played it safer. I wished I hadn't have taken as many risks. I can guarantee you every one of you is going to be saying, I wished I'd have done more. I wished I'd have dreamed big. I wished I'd have gone for it. When we stand before the Lord, it says that the sufferings, this is Romans chapter eight, verse 17. I believe that the sufferings of this present world are not even worthy to be compared with the glory, which shall be revealed in us, not to us, but in us. 
You already have the glory of God on the inside of you. You have the power of God. You've got the faith of God. You've got the same power that raised Christ from the dead living on the inside of you. It's not out there somewhere. It's on the inside of you. And yet we're going through this life as if we're only human. Some of you have heard me say this, but a song that I hate is that song that says, I'm only human. I'm just a man. I hate that song. I'm not only human. I'm not just a man. One third of me is wall to wall Holy Ghost. I got the power of God on the inside of me. You ought to expect something different than other people. And yet most of us are watching the same news, the same bad news that the world is watching. And you're afraid of the same things and you ought to process things differently. There ought to be a difference between you and people that don't know the Lord. You're alive and they're dead. You ought to be able to tell the difference between a live person and a dead person. Man, I heard a report of a guy that died in church. They called 911 and they took out half of the audience before they found the dead person. There's some of you that if you were arrested for being a Christian, there wouldn't be any evidence of it. They couldn't convict you on it. You're as sick as people that don't believe in God. You're as poor as people that don't believe in God. You're as depressed as people that don't believe in God. You're as scared as people that don't believe in God. You are as worried as people that don't believe in God. Something's wrong with this picture. I'm saying rise up, do something. How long are you going to stay here till you're dead? Get out of the boat. Do something. Even if it's wrong, do something. Did you know that God would bless you more if you did something in faith and you said, Father, I'm going to trust you. And if you did the wrong thing, but yet you did it motivated by faith, that would please God. God would be more pleased with that than the person who sits here and says, I'm afraid I might make a mistake. If you're afraid of making a mistake, if you're afraid of, not, of you know, I may not do it perfectly, you'll never get anything done. I had a friend of mine uh, want to start a Bible school and he knew that we had a Bible school. So he came to me and they had three or four pages of questions. And it's, it's wise to get instructions from people who've done something before. So I'm not saying that that's 100% wrong, but the last two questions were, what would you do differently if you were starting over? And my staff couldn't answer those. And so I had to call and talk to them personally to answer this. And they got to ask me, what would you do differently? And I said, you know what? I'd probably do a number of things differently, but I did the best I could do with the knowledge that I had, the resources that I had, the personnel that I had. I said, if you were to put me back in the same situation, I would probably do it exactly the way I did. And I said, did we do everything right? No. But I said, man, if you wait until you get it all figured out before you do anything, you're never going to have a Bible school. I said, just start, just get started, go do something. And there are some of you waiting until you can just do it perfectly before you take a chance and do anything. And that's the reason you're doing nothing. And you've been in a holding pattern for 40 years going around this mountain and God's saying, it's time for you to rise up and do something different. If you don't like your existence, quit griping and complaining and asking God to change it. Get up and do something. Man, that's powerful. I don't know if this is helping you, but it helps me. 
And like I said, I'm going to try and refrain from giving you all the personal things, but God was just back in 2002, the Lord told me I had limited him by my small thinking. And man, I said, I'm going to change. And I started changing and we have seen miraculous results. Matter of fact, our media buyer just contacted David. I think it was last week, but within the last few days, and he manages, he buys over $44 million worth of television time for different ministries. If I was to mention most of the ministries, you'd know him. He's one of the major players in the Christian market. He sees the financials and he's behind the scenes in some of the biggest ministries in this nation. And he contacted David and he says, what is going on with you guys? He says, your income is just soaring. You are going through the roof while everybody else is either plateaued or going down. Says everything's just increasing for you. And you know, one of the reasons is because man, I decided I am not going to die with any of the anointing that God has on my life left in me. I'm going to use every bit of it. I'm getting out there and I'm doing everything that I know and everything that God, I can truthfully say that everything that God has put in my heart, I am in the process of trying to do it. There's not any desire. There's nothing that I have on the inside of me that I'm not in the process of walking out. I, I am moving forward. I was just on television last Thursday, I think it was a week ago tonight with Arthur Blessed. And some of you know Arthur Blessed, the guy that carries the cross all around the world. I've heard of him for the last 30 or 40 years, but I never knew anything about him. And you know, to me, I don't see any great virtue in carrying the cross around the world. So I wasn't really impressed. I thought probably good opportunity to witness. But uh, anyway, I was on TBN and he interviewed me and I fell in love with Arthur Blessed. That guy loves God. He's, he's exciting. And, uh, I don't, God's never going to tell me to carry a cross around the world. I don't see, I don't think that's for me, but boy, I tell you what, I respect this guy. And the fact that he has walked over, uh, what was it? 39,000 miles. He's the Guinness book of world records, longest walk on the, on the earth. He's been to 318 countries. He's walked in between the Israelis and the Lebanese in a war and stopped the war. Walked right out in the middle with his cross and stopped it. He and his nine-year-old son walked out in the middle of the bombs and everything. And anyway, he gave me a video and I watched this video and it's a long story, but um, the Lord told him to carry the cross from... Sunset Strip in California to Washington, D.C. And two weeks before he was heading out on that trip, he had a brain aneurysm. He was only 20-something years old. And they put him in the hospital and they said, this is serious. You could die at any moment. We got to do brain surgery. And even with brain surgery, you probably never be able to be normal again. If you lift anything, it could kill you. If you walk, it could kill you. And he says, I've got to start walking to Washington, D.C. in two weeks. And they said, you can't do it. You'll die. And he thought about it a little bit. And he says, God told me before this happened, he's bound to have known this was going to happen. He says, I'm not going to let circumstances change what God told me to do. And he says, I'm going to start walking. And he started walking and that's been 40 years ago or something. He's walked 39,000 miles. He never had his aneurysm dealt with. 
He's been healthy as a horse. He's 71 years old now, doesn't have a pain in his body. And he told me, he says, if I'm going to fall, I'm going to fall forward. I will not die in a bed. Man, I thought that's it. That's, that's a person. That's a person who rose up. That's a person who's going to do something. And brothers and sisters, I'm saying this in love to you, but there are people in here that honestly, you don't have a vision for anything. And God has an awesome vision for every one of your lives. God never made a piece of junk ever. God's never made a failure. If you consider yourself a failure, it's because you've leaned under your own understanding. You've done your own thing and you're afraid to step out of the boat. When you start following God, I guarantee you it's going to be exciting. It'll be awesome. If your life isn't absolutely awesome, if you aren't thrilled with it, you've missed God. If your life is boring, you missed God. You have not found God's plan for your life. And some of you think, well, I don't have any great talents or abilities. <laughs> Man, I'm living proof that God calls those things that be not as though they are. God chooses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. Man, you're, you're just wasted on me when you say, I don't have any talents or abilities. If you're breathing, God's got a plan for your life and God wants to make your life count. And you know what? God doesn't want every person to be on television or on a stage like this. We need people in the marketplace. You don't have to be a minister, but God has a supernatural plan for every one of you that your life should be making a difference and this world is better off. If you aren't living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. (laughs) There's some of you, and again, I'm saying this in love. I'm not trying to hurt anybody, but there's some of you that if you died, nobody would miss you. All they'd say is, well, praise God, we don't have to hear them gripe about how bad everything is anymore. I know some of you are thinking I'm being mean or insensitive. I'm trying to stir you up. If you don't get stirred up, you're going to sink to the bottom. And this is what's happened with most people. They are shooting at nothing and hitting it every time. You're going to have to aim, raise your sights. I'm trying to get you to rise up and recognize God's got something for you to do. And some of you are living in the past. Oh, but you don't understand. I tried and I failed or this happened or I lost my mate or all of these things happen. Well, get over it. (laughs) And again, I know many people think that's insensitive, but you know what? They're just things more important than you. You know, one of the real blessings in my life is that God has built this ministry and I minister to millions of people and there are people that really depend on me. And there's times that I don't feel like ministering. There's times that I don't want to make television. There's times that I don't want to leave and go to another meeting. There's times that I don't feel like doing stuff. But I know that there's people that depend on me and there's people, there'll be hundreds of people baptized in the Holy Spirit during these three days. There will be people born again. There'll be people healed. There'll be some of you stirred up and your life will be absolutely changed. And you know what? There are just some things that are more important than me and how I feel. 
And so I have to pull my thumb out of my mouth and just go ahead and do what God tells me to do. And I'm saying this in love, brothers and sisters, but some of you have your thumb in your mouth, licking your wounds, thinking about, well, I tried and it didn't work. Just get up and go again. A righteous man will fall seven times and get up and rise again is what it says in Proverbs. I think that's Proverbs chapter three. You know what? You just need to rise up and recognize that God didn't call us to some substandard life. You are supposed to be full of the power of God. People should be able to look at you and see God and you ought to be able to show them a miraculous life. None of us have arrived, but you need to leave. You need to start in that direction. You need to get off dead center. You need to do something, move. Amen. You know, these lepers, it wasn't like they were great men of faith. They didn't say, we're going to believe God and we're going to end this drought and we're going to see great miracles. They just made a decision. How long are we going to sit here till we die? If we sit here, we will die. If we go into the town, we'll die. The only chance we've got is to just believe God and move, go somewhere. And so they decided to head towards the enemy and they walked out there. And did you know when they got there in fulfillment of Elijah's, Elisha's prophecy, the Lord had made the Syrians hear a sound and they thought that the Israelites had hired another army and terror gripped them and they ran. They left their donkeys still tied up. Their food was still cooking in their tents, their gold, their silver. They didn't pack a bag. They didn't take anything. They left the camp exactly like it was and they just took off in absolute terror running. And by the time the the lepers got out to the Syrians, they found that nobody was there. They went in and found food, abundance of food. They ate until they couldn't eat anymore. They started getting gold and silver and raiments. They became filthy, stinking rich. (laughs) And they went from absolute poverty, being outcast, to being their bellies full, rich to their max. And they said, you know, we aren't doing good. This is a day that we should be sharing with all the people that are locked up in the city. And so they went back and told the people and they became the heroes. They liberated the whole city. They went from being outcast to heroes, being poor to rich because they finally decided I'm going to get up and do something. I'm not going to sit here until I die. Amen. And I'm I'm telling you in love, I'm not saying this to put you down. I'm trying to motivate you that God placed himself on the inside of you. God's plans for you are awesome. Awesome. If you don't feel like your life is awesome, you've missed God's plan. God's got great things for you, but for you to see them, you're going to have to get up and move and do something. Take a step, do something, even if it's wrong. Quit going in circles around the same mountain. How long are you going to do this? Until you die? I tell you, God really spoke this to me and I'm in the process of, I'm already doing it and yet it's motivating me. It's motivating me that, man, I need to get even more radical. We were at church not 
too long after the Lord told me I was limiting God and a guy was preaching a message like this about you need to believe God, do something big. And he said, if you aren't believing God, if you feel like you've just been playing it too safe, I want you to stand up and we're going to pray. Jamie put her hand on my knee and said, stay seated. (laughs) Because I guarantee you, sometimes we are way out there. A friend of mine says, if your visions and dreams aren't keeping you up at night, you aren't dreaming big enough. Man, you need to get out on a limb. That's where fruit grows is out on a limb. Most of us are trunk huggers. <laughs> but you get out on that limb and start swaying in the breeze and you go to saying, oh God, help, amen. That's where fruit comes. Brothers and sisters, we need to rise up. We need to do something. Even if it's wrong, we're so afraid of making a mistake. Again, I've made just about every mistake you can make. You know, if somebody tried to go into ministry the way that I went into ministry, I would look at them and say, they'll never make it. We struggled for decades. We did everything wrong you could do. And yet we've survived and God's blessing us and people's lives are being changed. And a lot of it's just because I got started and I didn't quit. I tell you what, the people that get started and don't quit are going to beat people that have all of the talents and all of the wisdom and all of this other stuff nine out of 10 times. You just got to get up and get going. You need to go to believe in God for something. If some of you say, but I don't have a vision, get one. God didn't make you by mistake. He's got a purpose for your life. And if you don't know what that purpose is, it's because you've been so occupied with doing your own thing. You haven't taken time to hear the voice of the Lord. You know, I've just got a little bit of time left, but let me go ahead. That was the first thing is get up, do something. Here's the second thing. It says, rise up, take your journey. God's got a journey for you. And it says, take your journey. You know, up here in, I think it's the sixth and the ninth verse. I won't take time to turn back, but Moses is rehearsing. He says, you've, you've compassed this mountain long enough move northward. But then he told him, he says, now don't go into the land of Edom and take that from them because I gave that to Esau's descendant. You cannot have anything, not even a hand breadth. That means the three or four inches width of your hand. I'm not going to give you that much of Edom's territory. And then he says, you can't have any of the Moabites land. And he told him, I won't give that to you. And you can't have any of the Ammonites land. Now, Sihon was king of the Amorites. There's a difference between Amorites and Ammonites. But he said, you can't have the Edomites land. You can't have the Moabites land. You can't have the Ammonites land. But he says, you can have Sihon, king of Heshbon. You can have his land. It's not up to you to just do your own thing. God's got a journey for every one of you. He made you for a purpose. This is literally what turned my life around. It's because I was born again when I was eight years old. And until I graduated from high school, I had my life planned for me. And so basically I was just typical kid doing my own thing. And I was born again, but I wasn't really seeking the Lord. And then when it came to graduating from high school, I knew I was going to have to make some decisions about what I was going to do in college. And I got to seeking the Lord because I believed. 
that God created me with a purpose. It says in Galatians chapter one, verse 15, Paul said, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, what's the exact, please God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace from his mother's womb. He had a purpose in uh, Jeremiah chapter one, verse four. Yeah. The Lord says that uh, before you came forth out of the womb, go to verse five. Here's the word of the Lord that came unto me saying, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee before thou camest forth out of the womb. I sanctified thee and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. So Paul and Jeremiah were sanctified and separated from their mother's womb. God doesn't look at you and say, oh, this person is a musician. I could use them over here. I think I'll do this. And here's, this person is a mathematician. Maybe you'd make a good accountant. And here, this person, man, they could be a doctor. They got all of these skills. God doesn't look at you and respond to you. He created on the inside of you everything that it takes for you to accomplish his purpose. And one of the reasons that some of you are not fulfilled and your life is boring and you hate your job is because you are doing something. Maybe you're good at it. Maybe you're making a living at it. Maybe you're very successful in the eyes of the world, but you're very unfulfilled because you aren't doing what God called you to do. There is a fulfillment and a joy and a peace that goes with doing what God has called you to do, to be exactly where God wants you to be. You know, I go to Charlotte every year to Pastor Derry and Karen's church. I've been doing that for, I think, 23, 24 years. And uh, there's a partner of mine there that has me speak to his business people. And he's got about 30 people on staff. And he says, the clock's running. Listen to this man as long as he wants to talk. And I just talked to him about the Lord. And anyway, uh, I, I talked to him one time and I came out and there was a little Oriental lady at reception. And uh, she wasn't in that group. And so I, I went to her and I said, you weren't back there with the rest of the employees. And she says, no, I'm the new kid on the block. So they had me answer the phones while everybody else was back there in the break room. She said, who are you? And I told her my name and she says, what do you do? And I said, I'm a minister. And boy, her eyes got big. She says, for who? And I said, for Jesus, I'm a minister of the gospel. And this woman says, you're the one. And I said, the one what? And she says, I'm, I'm a Buddhist. And she said, last night she was doing whatever it is that Buddhists do. She was going through her ritual worshiping. And she said, she got just so dissatisfied and she's, she stopped and she just talked to God. And she says, God, I know you're real. I know you exist, but I don't believe Buddha's it. She says, who are you? Reveal yourself to me. And she said that all of a sudden there was this presence of God that came and this big ball of light just came in front of her and it was pulsating. And she heard a voice saying, tomorrow I'll send you a man who'll tell you who I am. And she says, you're the man. And I said, I'm the man. (laughs) And I got to lead that lady to the Lord and she got born again. But you know what that did to me? Man, it made me think I was at the right place at the right time. God knew my name. I'm doing what God has called me to do. And there is a satisfaction that goes with that, that no amount of money will ever supply. No amount of awards 
and all of these things will supply. Some of you have been able to use your God-given talents and do things, but the reason it's not successful and fulfilling to you is because you aren't doing what God called you to do with it. For you to have the contentment and the joy and the satisfaction that God created you to have, you've got a journey. You've got to find out what is it that he wants you to do. You can't enter into the Edomites land, into the Moabites land, into the Ammonites land. What is it that God's given you? What land has he told you to take? What is his purpose for your life? And again, it's from birth. He's not looking at you and saying, well, this is your talent and ability. Some of you have talents and abilities that you don't even have a clue. You could do things that you don't have a clue that you could do right now. You maybe said your whole life, oh, I'll never be able to do this. I'll never be able to do that. And you sold yourself short. I was an introvert. I couldn't look at a person in the face and talk to them. When I was a senior in high school, a man said hi to me on the street and he was two blocks down the street before I got high back out. I was painfully shy and God called me to preach to millions of people on television. (laughs) Did you know if you were just looking at my natural talents and abilities without God's intervention and me yielding and submitting to him, this is the last thing that I could possibly do. There are some of you think, oh, I couldn't ever do any. I just don't have any talents and abilities. You don't know what you've got until you yield it to God. Moses had a stick in his hand. God said, what's that you've got in your hand? He said, a stick, a rod. He said, throw it down. He threw it down before the Lord, Exodus chapter four. And it turned into a snake and he fled. He had been seeking God for 40 years. Give me another chance. Now that's again, not according to the movie, the 10 commandments, but that's according to scripture. He didn't leave uh, Egypt in defeat saying, I want to get away from God and trying to forget God. Hebrews chapter 11 says he endured by seeing him who was invisible. He was asking God, give me another chance. He was trying to hold on to accomplish God's will. So here he was finally in the presence of God God was speaking to him in an audible voice with a visible form. And yet when he saw that snake, he was ready to forsake it all and get out of there. That says a lot. Some people handle snakes. Moses wasn't one of those guys. He was willing to give up on his dream of 40 years to get away from that snake. He was scared. He was out of there. And the Lord said, take it up by the tail. Did you know when you pick up a snake by the tail, you don't have any control over that snake. It could turn and bite you. If you're going to handle a snake, you got to grab it right behind its jaws so that it can't turn and bite you. To pick it up by the tail means that you aren't in control. It means that you are basically at the mercy of that venomous snake. And Moses didn't have the benefit of knowing what Exodus 4.4 said. He hadn't written it yet. But when he picked it up by the tail, it turned back into a rod. But you know what? Now it wasn't just a stick. Before he gave it to God, it was just a stick. If he had hit a rock with it, it would have either broken that stick or it would have jarred him. But in Exodus chapter four, verse 20, it says Moses went down to Egypt after God finally convinced him to do what he told him to do. He said he went down to Egypt and took the rod of God 
in his hand. It wasn't Moses stick anymore. It was God's stick. And now when he held it out over the Red Sea, it parted and they went across on dry land. He could touch water and it turned to blood. He raised it over the land and the dirt turned to lice and it became frogs came up out of the river and he had hit a rock with it and water would gush out and feed millions and millions of people and all of their animals because now it was God's stick. My point is that you may think, I don't have any talents or ability. You lay your life down before God and let God take control of you. And God can take your little five loaves and two fish that you think isn't enough to do anything. And he can feed a multitude with what you've got. There's not a person in here that is beyond God using in some supernatural way, turning your life around. Any person in here, if you were created in the image of God, if you were to turn yourself over to God, God can use you to confound the wise and to upstage the mighty and all of these things. There's not a person in here that in the hands of God couldn't do something that is absolutely miraculous. Jonathan Edwards caused a great revival in this country right here in the New England area. And there is over, I forget the exact figure, but over 50 something references to his preaching in the United States Constitution. David um, Barton says that without Jonathan Edwards and the revival that hit New England in the 1700s, there wouldn't be a United States. There's over 200 quotes from preachers in the Constitution of the United States. This man was used not only to save souls, but to establish this nation. And he was used by God in a powerful way. And yet Jonathan Edwards was an absolute introvert. He was nearly blind. He was so fearful of standing in front of people. He would write his sermons out word for word and read them. And he was nearly blind. So he would get a piece of paper and he would hold it up and he'd have to put it this close to his eyes to be able to read it. So you couldn't even see his face. This is how he preached. He read his messages like this and you couldn't even see his face. And every once in a while he had put his paper down and point. And yet this man was so anointed of God that people would grab hold of the pew in front of him. Their knuckles would turn white. They felt like they were falling into hell. People started being born again and a great revival happened because a person with no natural talents and ability and no charisma and he didn't have the fancy suit And he didn't have all the graphics that scrolled in and out and flopped around. And he didn't have the fancy music and he wasn't politically correct. And he didn't have anything that people talk about today. This guy caused a revival that shook the world, that caused the foundation of this nation because he just threw himself down and took it up by the tail and did whatever God told him to do. There's not a person in here Again, not every person is going to have a worldwide ministry or or found a nation, but in your world, in your circle, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, there's not a person in here that if you were to turn your life over to God and take the journey that God has ordained for you, there's not a person in here that couldn't see miraculous results, start seeing total transformation you would know that God is using you in such a way that you would just, 
it'd be hard for you to go to sleep at night because you're so excited. You'd wake up early, excited about everything God is doing. Instead of saying TGIF, <laughs> work's over. You'd say TGIM. It's Monday. I get to go back to work. I get to make a difference. I get to change people's lives. I get to impact people. I get to see the power of God flow through me. I'm preaching better than you're listening. That's good. You know, I'm saying this the best I know how, and yet I just know that there's people sitting right here that you'll be able to shake this off and go back to doing nothing, believing for nothing, being excited about nothing, go back to being bored, miserable, and think, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And you'll be able to reject it. I just, I wished I had some way to force you to believe this. You know, this is one thing that happens in our Bible school. We see people come in and they, they don't know exactly what they're going to do. We've actually taken surveys and when they first come to Bible school, very few, very few, I, I dare to say less than 5% know what they're going to do. They don't know what God's will for them is. They just know that there's something more than what they're doing. And they believe that sitting under the word and being stirred up is, is going to help them. And so they come in and they have all kinds of problems, hurts and pains, fears, and et cetera, et cetera. They come in one way and they just leave transformed. And we don't even know how it happens. I got a book entitled Effortless Change. Some of you know that things need to change, but you don't know how. You just start, you do something. And the word begins to change you. You know, some of you have heard this uh, testimony recently, but on the 23rd of June, we had one of our Bible college directors in Uganda die in Uganda. And Leland Shores was a guy who was very successful. He worked for the Dallas Museum of Art. And he, his goal was to make all of this money. And I forget how old he was at the time, but he was 30 something years old, I think. And he was very successful and he was at a party, a social for his work. And he was eating a roast beef sandwich and choked on it. And he thought he was going to die. They called an ambulance. And while he was laying on the floor choking, his whole life flashed in front of him. And he realized he had become successful. He had made his money. He was very influential and it didn't amount to a single thing. And laying on the floor, choking to death, expecting to die, he says, God, if I live, I'm going to dedicate my life. I'm giving everything I've got to you. And so they were able to revive him. And within two days, this man who had a very successful everything, a house, and he had lots of art, he sold everything. He was homeless in two days. Sold everything, liquidated everything he had because he just decided he was going to rise up and do something. He wasn't going to stay the same. He didn't know where he was going. Actually, this will show you where he was spiritually. He was going to go and live in a monastery for a year, Catholic monastery. Figured he'd just go there and seek God. That's where he was spiritually. But his mother was a partner of mine. 
And when she heard what his plans were, she says, well, have you ever thought of Bible college? And he says, I wouldn't know where to go. And she says, well, why don't you go check out Andrew Womack? So he came to Colorado Springs and uh, he liked it. And so he decided he'd go to Bible school instead. And did you know, he went to two years of Bible school, worked for us for a year in our camera department, television department. And then he went to Uganda and he took over the ministry in Uganda. And I tell you, I could, I could spend an hour minimum telling you about the miraculous things that happened. He started a discipleship program that today has discipled hundreds of thousands of people are going through the discipleship program in Uganda on a weekly basis. I was there when he met with the president and the first lady of Uganda and God just turned their heart towards him and they gave him all of the help he needed to do anything. He opened up a bookstore on the busiest corner in Uganda. There must be 10, 20,000 people a day that walk by it. We've seen Idi Amin's daughter born again in that bookstore. We've seen hundreds and hundreds of people born again, spirit filled. Uh, we're on television in Uganda twice a day. And uh, he opened up a Bible college and what is a hundred something people in that Bible college and just miracle after miracle. And in 11 years, eight years after he left our ministry, in eight years, that man has basically touched the nation. And because of what he did and because he was making disciples and not just converts, there are people carrying on and it is just beginning. He, in, he impacted an entire nation in eight years, a man who had no spiritual background, no spiritual foundation, a man who had no natural ability to do that just gave himself 100%. And in 11 years, eight years of ministry has basically changed a nation, transforming a nation. There's going to be thousands, possibly tens or hundreds of thousands of people born again in life's change because one man just decided to throw his life down and pick it up by the tail. God, what do you want me to do? I'm not in control anymore. And he's changed the nation. Certainly, every person in here could change your world. The people that are associated with you. You don't have a clue what God could do with you until you give your life over. But you know what? You're going to have to do something. God created you with a purpose. He's got a plan, but he doesn't force it on a single person. If you don't pursue it, you won't get it. God appeared in that burning bush to Moses, but he didn't call to him out of the bush and say, Moses, come over here. There was just a burning bush and it didn't burn. And it says in Exodus chapter three, when he saw that the bush didn't burn, he said, I'm going to turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush burns, but it isn't consumed. God waited until he turned aside. If he would have just said, man, I'm late for supper. I got to get home. Zipporah is fixing me something. I've been with these sheep all day. I'm ready to go lay down. He could have just gone on his way and said, who care why that bush is burning? But he turned aside. He just decided to make a little detour and check it out. And he found God over there talking to him out of that bush. Again, I'm preaching to the choir in a sense because you're the people that turned aside. And you came to a meeting. 
and you're looking for something. But with many of you, it needs to be more than just sitting in a chair and listening to somebody. You need to make a decision and say, I'm going to do something different. I'm not going to be in this same situation next year. If Andrew comes back next year, I'm not going to be sitting here saying, I wished I could, was bold enough to try something. I wished I could step out. Man, you need to do something. You need to make a decision. In Bible college, I'm just using that as an example. That's not the only thing. God has, some of you know exactly right now what God is speaking to you about. You need to get up and go do something. But there's some of you that don't have a clue what to do. And you know what? You can take correspondence course, video correspondence. You can do something. And I guarantee you the word of God will stir you up and begin to start painting an image on the inside of you. With some of you, this is exactly what you need to do is just do something lest you do nothing. And if you're just waiting, you're praying and asking God to change everything, but you aren't going to get out of the boat, you're going to drown. You're going to sit there and starve with the rest of the people in the city while all of this abundance is out there. If you just take a step and say, you know, so what? The worst thing that could happen is we die. It's not that big of a deal. We're all going to die anyway. I know most people don't follow that logic. They are just fearful. But you know what? We're all going to die. I'd rather make my life count. If I'm going to fall, I'm going to fall forward. I'm going to be like that Arthur Blessed. And if God told me to do something, he knew what the circumstances that would come up. And you know what? I'm going to head out and start doing what God told me to do. And if I die believing God, I'd rather do that than stay safe and not believe God. Brothers and sisters, some of you need to rise up and find out what journey God has ordained for you and start. You need to get started. Some of you think, well, it's such a long journey. It all starts with one step. I didn't have a clue what God was going to lead me to do 43 years ago, nearly 44 years ago. But you know what? I just started taking step by step by step and I'm seeing God do awesome things. I recommend it. Man, I've learned something through these people, through these verses. And I want to encourage you that some of you need to follow in this step. You've been in a holding pattern long enough. It's time for you to rise up. Take your journey. Do something. Go to believe in God for something. Amen? Let me ask this. How many of you in here would say, I am not content where I am. I know that there is more than what I'm doing and I'm making a decision tonight that I'm going to change. If that's you, I want you to just stand and I'm going to lead you in a prayer and we're going to make some decisions to change. You know, if you've understood what I said correctly, and if there's this many people standing, then you shouldn't have to have much more explanation to understand why you aren't happy and successful and stuff because you know that there's more than what you're doing and you aren't following it. You got to move. And I believe that this is going to be a step in that direction for you. I believe that God is going to change some lives. I can tell you when I made my decision 
to do this. I could take you to the exact place. Some of you, if the Lord tarries another 43 years as he has with me, you'll be able to look back at this night and say, this was a turning point in my life. This is when I got out of the boat. There's no turning back. Amen. And it's like topping the first hill on a roller coaster. You need to put your seatbelt on because your life is about to change. God is going to start doing some things in your life that may terrify you before they edify you, but it will eventually work out good. Amen. Father, I thank you for all of these people that are standing. Thank you, Father, that there is more than what most of us are experiencing. And Father, just thank you that in love tonight you stir us up, not in condemnation. Father, regardless of how many times we've failed, Father, I just thank you that there is grace, unlimited grace, that you aren't upset or mad at a single person. Just like Peter when he started walking on the water and then he took his eyes off of you and he was afraid and he began to sink. He called out and you lifted him up. You didn't rebuke him, you just helped him up. Father, there's some people that have just made a mess of their life, but there is no condemnation from you, Father. And I just minister your encouragement. We make a commitment of ourselves as a living sacrifice. Like Moses, we throw our life down before you and say, here we are with all of our problems and all of our mistakes and all of our imperfections. Father, we aren't much, but we're like that little meal that that boy had. It wasn't enough to meet the need, but in your hands, little is much when God is in it. We ask you to take these lives, to take all of our mess, all of our fears, all of our sickness, disease, poverty, whatever it is that we have, we give it all to you, Father, and we ask you to take it and reshape it and mold it and to make us something that will change our world, that we will begin to impact people in a positive way. Father, based on these scriptures, we just rise up tonight. We are taking a stand and saying we are going to take our journey. That God is showing me what he has for me and I'm going to move in that direction and I will not sit here until I die. Father, we make a commitment. You said that you are faithful and just to keep that which we commit. So we make a commitment tonight to know you, to let your will come to pass in our life. And we believe that you hold us to it, that you keep it, that you remind us of this. That tomorrow when we wake up, that there is an excitement in our life about praise God. I believe my life is changing, that God is moving. He's revealing himself to me. Father, we aren't going to be the same anymore. Thank you, Jesus. We believe that you honor this commitment, that you take our request, and that, Father, you are going to start moving in our life in a supernatural way. Thank you, Jesus. And we thank you. We believe it right now. I want you to begin to thank God and praise him by faith that he's heard and answered your prayer and that God is holding you to that. Things are going to change. We thank you, Father, that our life is changing.
changing now in the name of Jesus. That circumstances are changing. Thank you, Jesus. We agree and we receive it. Thank you for this in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's thank the Lord for that. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Some of you already know in your heart, God had given you more revelation than what you've been acting on. And you know exactly what you need to start doing. There's others that you really had no vision, no goal. And so you don't know exactly how to move forward. But you know what? God will start showing you things and you're going to see circumstances change. There will be opportunities open up to you and things that maybe in the past you would have said no way, but you're going to make a connection and say, I just made a total commitment, yielded my life. And all of a sudden this door opens up. Maybe this is God. And you know what? If you don't know for sure, you don't have to go full steam ahead. Just move slowly. It's like a boat. It's got a rudder on there, but that boat has to be in motion for the rudder to give any direction. If it's sitting still, you can flip the rudder 360 degrees and it won't give any direction. But if you start moving, even if it's not fast, you start turning that rudder and it'll give direction to that boat. So if you aren't sure about what God has told you to do, just start taking some baby steps. Start checking out the waters. Move slowly and you'll either say, whoops, that wasn't it. Or you'll say, boy, this is it. That's, that's how you discern it. I've got a whole series out there, uh, uh, three different albums entitled How to Find, How to Follow, and How to Fulfill God's Will. And I would suggest that if you really made that commitment and are looking for direction, you ought to get hold of that. It would really help you. But I tell you, I believe God has begun something right here that you're never going to be the same. I believe this is changing your life. Let me tell you God's will for every person in here. He wants every person in here to be born again. I can guarantee you that is for everyone. And then every person who gets born again and has a personal relationship with Jesus, he wants you to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes speaking in tongues. That's for every person. Now, once you get beyond that, our paths start veering off and God calls different people to do different things. But he wants every person to be born again. What good is it if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? You must be born again. You must know that your sins are forgiven. And if you're born again, then you must have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know that there's some people that teach you don't have to have it. I'm not saying that you have to have the Holy Spirit to go to heaven. You can go to heaven without the Holy Spirit. You can get there quicker. Because Jesus said you're going to receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you can get to heaven quick if you don't have the Holy Spirit. Because you won't be able to stand. You'll die of something premature. So you can, you can be born again and you can still go to heaven. But if you want victory in this life, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And speaking in tongues is so powerful. I wish I had time tonight. This would be a perfect spot to teach on how to pray in tongues and interpret and understand the will of God because your spirit is praying the perfect will of God. And he said, if you pray in tongues, pray that you interpret. I've got a book that I'll give you that will explain all of that, but I can promise you every person in here 
needs to be born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some of you may think, well, I believe I've got the Holy Spirit, but I don't speak in tongues. Do you have to speak in tongues? No, you get to speak in tongues. It's a privilege. It's an honor. I'm not speaking in tongues right now because it's up to me. God's not going to force you to speak in tongues, but I can guarantee you it is for every believer. Those who believe, Mark 16, 18, they that believe will speak with new tongues. 16, uh, 17 and 18, they will speak with new tongues. And so if you don't speak in tongues, you need to receive this gift of speaking in tongues. Is there anybody here tonight who would say, I need one or both of those things. I either need to be born again and or I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Right where you are. I'm not asking you to join anything. I don't have anything for you to join. I'm just wanting to help you. If you don't speak in tongues, you ought to have your hands up. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, I'm encouraging you to rise up and come down here to the front. And I want to pray with you and help you to receive. Praise the Lord. Just come forward right now and let us pray with you. if you don't just all get right here but you spread out and people will be able to come stand behind you better. Thank you, Jesus. And isn't this awesome? Thank you, Father. I believe you all are going to be stronger and horseradish after this. This is going to change your life. Amen. Isn't that great? Before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. You have to receive Jesus as your personal Savior. Is there anybody here who's not sure, certain that you've been born again, that your sins are forgiven? I need to pray with you first. If you aren't sure and if you would like to pray with me and just make sure that you're born again and that your sins are forgiven and you receive Jesus. I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you first. Anybody? Here's, here's a couple down here. Anybody else? Here's one. Here's some more. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Praise God. Isn't this great? You know, there's a lot of confusion about salvation. A lot of people think that they're saved because they're a Catholic or they're a Methodist or a Baptist or they're a good person. That doesn't make you a Christian. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage and make you a car. You know what? If you're a car, you ought to get in a garage for your own protection. If you're a Christian, you ought to go to church for your own edification and encouragement, but that does not make you a Christian. It's all about whether or not you've made Jesus your Lord. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus 
and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's more than just saying the words. That means that you're making a commitment that God, I give you my life. I'm trusting you with everything that I've got. You're making him Lord. You aren't saying that you'll do it perfectly because you won't, but you're saying, I want you to literally control my life. I turn my life over to you. Is there anybody else who's not certain you've done that and you want to pray with these who've raised their hand already? Anybody else? Everybody else is sure. I'm not trying to talk you out of it. You just got to be sure. And there's a lot of people that are just hoping that that's working. All right. For those of you that raised your hand, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray with you first. And I've already quoted that verse. It's as simple as just Jesus has already died for your sins. He's already forgiven you. And all you've got to do is receive it. And you receive it by making him your Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible promises that if you do that, you shall be saved. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer and say words similar to what you need to say. And I want you to repeat it after me. And if you will mean this, it's not magic. It's not automatic. By you just saying the words, it guarantees that you're saved. You got to believe it. But if you believe this, then you'll be born again. Isn't that good? God's already done everything. All you got to do is receive it. So I'd like to ask everybody in here to repeat this after me so that they won't feel like we're just listening to them. And if you'll say this and mean it in your heart, you're going to be born again right now. Is that a good deal? Awesome. Let's say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sins. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You believe that? Awesome. Praise the Lord. Well, welcome to the family. I believe that that just changed you. You know, on the inside, you're completely different. You're either a male or a female still on the outside, but on the inside, the Bible says you now became the temple of the Holy Spirit. So every person up here is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. What that means is that this is what God made you for, is to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. So now all of us are going to ask for the Holy Spirit to come. And there is no way that God is going to turn you down because this is what you were made for. You were made to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Some people teach that if you have any sin or any problems in your life, the Holy Spirit won't come. I tell you, if that was true, nobody would have the Holy Spirit. We all have problems. The reason you need the Holy Spirit is so you can get over your problems. It's to help you. Don't let some sense of unworthiness make you think that God isn't going to give you his power. He wants to give you his Holy Spirit so that he can help you to start living a victorious life. So we're not going to beg and plead. We're just going to ask one time. It says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we're just going to ask one time and then we're going to believe that the Holy Spirit comes. And I'd like to ask our prayer ministers to come up here. And these people are going to stand behind you 
and lay hands on you because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So we're, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. We're going to ask, then they're going to lay hands on you and release this power into your life. And then I want you to quit asking and start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. Do it by faith. Take a step of faith. It doesn't matter what you feel like. When I received the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel a thing, but man, I got the power of the Holy Spirit. And it took me actually years before I was completely confident that I really had the Holy Spirit. I was raised a Baptist and I was taught that this was of the devil. And I just, I struggled with doubt for a long time, but you know what? I finally got over it and I've written all of this stuff in a book and it'll help you and it'll answer your questions. And I'm going to give every one of you a free copy of this book to help you understand what's happening. But that's what we're going to do. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're just going to open up the doors of this temple. Welcome the Holy Spirit to come in. They're going to lay hands on you. And then I want you to start thanking God by faith and praising him that you have the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you are giving thanks to God. 1 Corinthians 14, 17. So after you start thanking him in English, those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to start praying in tongues and thanking God with our uh, heavenly language. And when we start doing that, I want you to quit praying in English and just switch over and start praying in tongues with us and start speaking in tongues. I wish I had more time to explain it, but uh, if you're ready, you can receive it right now. And some of you say, but I, what, what do you do? How do you do it? The Holy Spirit won't force you to speak in tongues. It's like when I preach tonight, I believe that God spoke through me, but he didn't force me to say it. That's the reason it came out in Texas. I spoke. I actually thought of the words. It was me speaking, but it was the Holy Spirit inspiring it. It's the same thing when you speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. He inspires you to speak in tongues and you speak and by faith, trust that the Holy Spirit's inspired it. And you may have some doubts. It's weird at first, but I can promise you after you start experiencing the edification and the power that it releases in your life, you'll go to recognizing this is God and he'll confirm it to you. And I'll, again, give you all that book and it'll help you. But if you're ready, you can pray in tongues right now. You ready? The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer and I will speak in tongues. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I agree for all of these. Now, with these who've prayed for salvation, I thank you that we are all the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we are created to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. So right now, we just open up the doors of these temples and Holy Spirit, we invite you in. We welcome you to come into our life. We want your power. We want this gift of speaking in tongues and all of the other gifts that you have to give. We want your power instead of us doing it our way. We welcome you right now in Jesus' name. And now we lay hands on you and say, receive the Holy Spirit right now. We loose this power and anointing of the Holy Spirit to flow into your bodies right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, just come and fill and control us right now. And we thank you for doing it. Boy, this is the power of the Holy Spirit right here. Here's the anointing of God coming upon every one of you. Now, I want you to... 
put your hands up. Like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. I want you to yield. The Bible says when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. This blesses God. It's a way of saying, God, I yield. And start thanking him. I don't care what you feel like, he promised. Father, we believe your word is true. Thank you for giving every one of us the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe it, that we are now God-possessed, that your power is flowing in us. And Father, we receive it. We now have this baptism of the Holy Spirit and your Holy Spirit is gonna start empowering us to live life differently than we have in the past. Thank you, Jesus. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's worship God and pray in tongues. All of you out in the audience too. Let's just worship God in tongues and speak in tongues. And as we speak in tongues, we want you to quit praying in English now and let's just switch over and talk in tongues. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying, but your tongue's gonna be different than theirs. It's unique to you, but you gotta talk. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You got to open your mouth. You got to start saying something. Thank you, Jesus. Just be bold. Talk. Some of you think, well, mine doesn't sound like a tongue. When a baby starts talking, it doesn't sound like a real language either. But boy, that parent knows what that baby's trying to say. Your heavenly father's pleased with you right now. You're bypassing your brain and you're speaking out of your spirit instead of out of your head. You're letting faith control you instead of your mind control you. Praise God. Man, lots of these are speaking in tongues. God wouldn't give this to some of you and not to others. Every one of you have received this gift of speaking in tongues. You just got to use it. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And there's the power of God. Just get bold with it. Begin to speak. Don't worry about what it sounds like. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Many, many, many of these are speaking in tongues. Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I know some of you are just beginning to start having this happen, but it's important that you understand what's happening. And it's also important that you understand, even if you didn't speak in tongues, I believe God gave you this gift of the Holy Spirit and you do have the gift of speaking in tongues. It's like a pair of tennis shoes when you get them. They all come with tongues. Amen. God gave every one of you this gift of speaking in tongues, but you have to use it. When I first prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't speak in tongues for three and a half years, but that's because I was a Baptist and I had been taught it was of the devil and I was afraid to do it and I was just gonna wait on God to force it. And anyway, I finally got a few things figured out and I've written them in a book and I wanna give this book to you and I promise you, there's not a person down here that has had more problems speaking in tongues than I have and yet I can speak in tongues with the best of them. I speak in tongues about every day. 
And so I want to give every one of you this book. Also, if you got born again tonight, if you prayed to receive salvation, this book is about what true salvation is and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And it's important that you understand these things so that you can get the full benefit of it. So what I'd like to ask you to do is to follow Robert. He's the man right here with his hand up with the Bible. And we want to take you to a room next door. And we're going to give every one of you a book. There's people that will answer your questions, help you any way they can. We just want you to get the maximum benefit from this. So it'll only take a minute. We aren't charging you nothing. We're trying to help you. Amen. So just follow Robert and we want to give you one of these books. Isn't this great? Let's praise God for all of this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. I believe y'all are never going to be the same. Thank you, Jesus. To a number of people this uh, tonight already before the service who came and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit last year said it had totally changed their life, totally changed the way that they had a relationship with God. I tell you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the single most transforming experience in the in the Christian life outside of being born again. It's really, really powerful. These are all of our prayer ministers down here. Many of these are Bible college students or graduates, but every one of them have been through specific teaching about how to take your authority and speak directly to the problem instead of begging God. So the reason I have them down here is I just cannot pray for every person. I don't need to pray for every person. It's Jesus that does the healing. And uh, if you have a need in your body. That's what they're here for. And I'd like to ask if you have any kind of a need, if you want prayer, it might not be just physical. It could be emotional. It could be about your new direction that you took tonight. But if you need somebody to just pray with you and agree, I'd like to invite you forward to come and pray with one of our prayer ministers right now. If you need prayer, just come and they're going to direct you to one of our prayer ministers so that you won't all get on one side. And if you need prayer, come forward and let us pray with you in a just degree right now. Praise the Lord. The rest of you, if you'd wait just a few minutes, I do operate in the gifts of the Spirit and I pray while they're praying and we see miracles happen. We see things called out. You're welcome to stay and pray with us, but you're free to go if you need to. Remember that we have CDs and DVDs of tonight's message already duplicated out here. You can pick them up. And of course, we have all of these other materials. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., 7 p.m., and then Saturday at 10 and 6 p.m. It starts one hour earlier on Saturday so that my crew can take down all of this and get to bed at a decent time. Amen. So remember, it's 6 o'clock on Saturday night. God bless you. You're dismissed if you desire to be. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just thank you for your power. Thank you for the lives that have been changed tonight. Father, we believe that the power and the anointing of your Holy Spirit has been here to transform people's lives. And now, Father, we pray for the physical needs of people. Father, for healing in their body. We believe that by your stripes, every one of us have already been healed. 
that it's your will for every one of us to be totally healed. So we take our authority right now and we lay hands on people. You said we lay hands on the sick and they recover. So we lay hands on the sick right now in the name of Jesus and command them to recover. We command deaf ears to open now in the name of Jesus. Speech problems to be healed right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord's ministering right now to somebody who has a speech problem. I don't know if it's uh, like stuttering or if you have a lisp or you got... Anyway, it's a speech problem. And God, I believe, is healing somebody right now of that. You know, if that's you, I'd like you to stand and wave at me. Raise your hand so I can see because there's a lot of people standing. I want to see who it is that I'm praying for. Right here's a lady. Anybody else here that has a speech problem that you're being healed of it right now? Anyone else? Man, isn't this good? God just singled you out. I believe God's healing you right now. Hey, Ashley, would you just lay hands on this woman as I pray right here? That one right there. Father, in the name of Jesus, we release the anointing of God right now to flow towards her. And whatever this impediment in her speech is, we command it to be gone right now in the name of Jesus. Satan, you loose her tongue and let her go now. Thank you, Jesus. That's done. That thing's broken over you. And now, Father, if there's a physical healing, something that needs to happen, I just thank you if it's mental, emotional, physical, Whatever it is that the problem is, I believe that your anointing is setting her free and that she's going to be able to talk normally now in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Man, that's awesome. Awesome. You are going to have a great testimony out of that. I believe God has changed that and set you free. So, Father, we just receive all of these healings here tonight. Thank you for healing everyone. Every single one. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody here has got a really high metabolism. You know, I don't know what that means. I'm not a doctor, but the Lord just spoke to me that somebody's got a like a hyper metabolism. I don't even know what that means. I don't know what that effect is, but if you have it, you probably know about it. Who is that? Is there somebody here that knows that you've got a really high metabolism and it's detrimental, it's too high? Anybody, if that's you, I want you to identify yourself. I know i got the right meeting. I know you're here. Anybody? You may not know what this is, but I, I don't know exactly what to tell you, but there's somebody here that's being healed of a high metabolism. I know that that would probably make you thin, it's impossible for you to gain weight for some reason or another. There's other things that can do that, but I, a high metabolism would do that. Anybody here? I know that that's somebody. Where are you? Right here? Donna, why don't you lay hands on him? Amen. Father, we just agree right now. And in the name of Jesus, we release his power. And whatever has happened to this man's metabolism, we command this to straighten up. 
Father, as Donna lays hands on him, I believe that your anointing flows right through her hands into his body. And body, you be healed right now. We command this metabolism to be normal in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Satan, we break your dominion, command you to let him go. Body, you be healed now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. I believe that's done. Praise the Lord. Brother, you're going to have to watch what you eat like the rest of us now. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we just receive all of these healings right now. Thank you, Jesus. Here's somebody here that's just got pain. It's not necessarily excruciating pain, but you're just tired and sore, like in your shoulders, right here through this collarbone. Is this you? Anybody else here with this? Here's another one over here. Anybody else? Here's another one back here. It's about four or five of you. Father, in the name of Jesus, whatever this is, it's causing this problem. I command it to stop. If there was damage, injury to them through some kind of a wreck or fall or something, I release your supernatural healing and command these shoulders, this collarbone to be healed. Command that pain and soreness to be gone right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. That's a done deal right there. I believe your pain's gone. Move around. Do what you didn't feel like doing. Is your pain or soreness gone? Anybody already tell a difference? This lady back here, pain and soreness is gone. How are you doing? Isn't that awesome? How long have you had that? A what? Oh, and so it's just from working, but you're healed. Isn't that awesome? Good. How are you doing? You feeling good? Feeling good? You got any pain left? This man right here, do you have any pain left? Nope. Good. Isn't that great? Every single one of those, the pain instantly left. Praise the Lord. And you too, did you have problems? How are you feeling? Good? All right. Good. Isn't that great? Somebody might say, well, that's not a very big thing. Well, it is if you're the one with the pain. Amen. Praise God. That's awesome. Father, we just thank you and we receive these miracles right now. Here's deafness being healed. Who in here has got problems with your hearing? You may have only a partial hearing loss or something. If you've got problems with your hearing, I want you to stand and raise your hand. And I'm praying for you. Just like every single one of these was healed, I believe every one of you is healed of this deafness or hardness of hearing or tinnitus in your ears or whatever. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just release this. We command you deafness, hardness of hearing, pressure, pain in the ears, whatever it is, nerve deafness. I rebuke you. I command you to loose them and to let them go, to be gone right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. 